This is Dental All-Stars, where we bring you the best in dentistry on marketing, management, and training. Welcome to Dental All-Stars. I'm Eric Vickery, Lead Mastery Coach at All-Star Dental Academy and President of Vickery Coaching. And I'm excited to interview our guest today, Dr. Lauren Levine, founder and president of The Digital Dentist. He has over 30 years invested in the dental uh, and dental technology fields. A graduate of USC, he earned his DMD from Boston University and completed his residency at the Eastern Dental Center in Rochester, New York. He received a specialty training at the University of Washington and went into private practice in Vermont until moving to California in 2002 to establish TDD, a company which focuses on the specialized technological and HIPAA needs of the dental community. I'm gonna need to take another deep breath here. This is a good one. Uh, Dr. Levine has a vast experience with dental technology systems. He is a CompTIA certified A plus computer repair technician and a CompTIA network plus certified. As a consultant and integrator, he has extensive hands-on experience with most practice management software, image and management software, digital cameras, intraoral cameras, computers, networks, and digital radiography systems. He writes for many well-known industry publications and lectures across the country. He was the regular uh, technology columnist for Dental Economics Magazine. His articles have appeared in Dentistry Today, Dental Economics, Dental Equipment and Materials, Dental Practice Report, New Dentist, Dental Angle Online, and Dental Town Magazine, where he was a moderator of 10 of their computer and software forums. He has lectured to the Yankee Dental Congress, American Academy of Periodontology, American Academy of Endodontics, the Dental Town Extravaganza, and numerous state dental society and study club lectures. In addition, he's a member of the Speaking and Consulting Network. He also he is also the former technology consultant for the Indian Health Service. Whew, that is quite the intro. So welcome, Dr. Levine. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to jump into this with you. And gosh, that's quite a resume. Thank you. That's that's quite the. Uh, you know, that, that's for quite some time. Do we have any time left for the podcast? <laughs> that's it. That's all we had time for today. So hey, well, thank hey, you for so joining us. That was great. <laughs> that was great. Wow, there's a couple of tongue twisters in there too. So yeah, I appreciate so I, it. I don't know what those stuff means, anyways. I mean, in, in the IT world, people know what A plus is and Network Plus and MCSA. In the dental world, people don't know and don't care. To be perfectly honest, so I, I don't get too hung up on it. It sounds really good, though. It sounds like you know what the heck you're talking about. So I'm just really excited to pick your brain because this is one of those, as a coach, you know, I'm focused on systems and verbal skills. And I say to people, yeah, go see TDD, go go get with them and get protected and do that thing. I don't really get involved. So I'm really excited to, I guess, take it from the perspective of, you know, a dentist's viewpoint and find out more about what you do, why it's important for me to have you, have you uh, teach me what you do. I need to know all about it. So Personally, and I know you and I talked about this by email beforehand too, is I've been hearing about ransomware. I don't really know what that means. It sounds like I'm going to be held for ransom, maybe some sort of virus, but it's in the news. Uh, I know that uh, the HIPAA and all these sorts of things play a role in this, but tell us what we need to be aware of when it comes to ransomware. Why do people put so much time and effort in in the press and, and you hear it over and over again? What's going on with this and what do we need to be aware of? Sure. And it, it is a hot topic. It's something that um, has come onto our radar the, radar the last number of years. Um, you know, one of the things I love about what I'm doing right now, although I enjoy being a periodontist as well for all those years, is that 
it's constantly changing. There's always new stuff. And when we started uh, the Digital Dentist, which was back in 2002, the focus was on more meat and potatoes type of IT, you know, putting together computers and networks and sensors and cameras. And we still do that. Um, but HIPAA started becoming a thing back around 2009 when the High Tech Act was passed. And then once they finalized all the HIPAA rules in 2013 with the omnibus rule, we kind of pivoted because we felt that it was really critical for offices to be HIPAA compliant. And we've certainly been preaching and, and pounding that drum for the last seven or eight years. It hasn't resonated with offices to the extent that I was hoping it would, because they're all laws. It's not like they're optional things that you can or can't do. You have to adhere to those laws. Um, but a lot of people, their approach was, well, you know, what are the odds of me being audited? And, you know, I'll worry about this if it happens, which obviously I don't think is the best approach. What has really kind of lit a fire under people's rears the last couple of years has been ransomware. And um, it's really affected the dental community significantly. There was a big outbreak uh, last year, 20, uh, I don't know when people are going to be listening to this, but in 2019, there was a, um, an outbreak of 400 offices in Wisconsin that were all hit with ransomware at the same time, 100 in Colorado, uh, all through their IT provider, actually. It wasn't anything the offices specifically were doing. But wow. you know, to, to answer the question, ransomware is a type of virus, and the name is very apropos. It is a virus that infects your system and you'll log in one morning and all of a sudden there's a pop-up there that says your files have been locked and you need to pay a ransom in order to get that unlocked. And wow. um, they don't take checks, they don't take credit cards, they don't take cash. Um, it's all typically an untraceable uh, Bitcoin, you know, encrypted type of transactions. We've seen anywhere from about 500 to 5,000 and, and greater as far as what the ransom requests are. Sometimes you can negotiate with them, sometimes you can't. The problem is that you don't know who's on the other end. So wow. even if you end up paying that ransom, you have no guarantee that you're gonna get the unlock key to get your files back. Now, typically you do just because if word gets out that these ransomware criminals are not giving you the key, no one's gonna pay the ransom. So. You know, they want to be able to have the reputation that, yeah, you pay, you're going to get your, your files unlocked. Um, but of course, our, you know, our approach is let's see that we can prevent that from ever happening in the first place. And what do you do if you do get hit? Now, the way that it relates to HIPAA, and a lot, not a lot of people are aware of this, is that one of the HIPAA rules that is very critical for dental offices to be aware of is the breach notification rule. And what that basically says is that if you suffered a breach, there are a few things that you absolutely must do. If you know, if you're suffered a breach, you have to notify the local news media. You have to be listed on the Health and Human Services website. They call that the Wall of Shame. It's not a place wow. to be. But the worst part is that you would have to send a letter to every single patient of record, notifying them that there had been a breach and what data may have been breached. And that typically would include things like social security numbers and credit card information. We've had offices that have to declare that breach and they normally tell us that they're losing anywhere from about 15 to 20% of their patient population that was gone within a month. Hmm. Because you don't, you know, as a patient, you can imagine getting that letter saying, hey, you know, your dental office compromised wow. your data. The reason I'm bringing all this up is that 
a ransomware infection is a breach. People don't think of breaches in those terms normally. They think of a breach as, well, someone hacked into my network. Hacked, or, yeah, that's you know, a term. I lost uh, uh, my laptop or something along those lines. The way that the Office of Civil Rights, which um, runs HIPAA and, and Health and Human Services, the way that they define a breach is loss of control of your data, which is exactly what a ransomware does. It locks the files and you can't get to them until you've paid it. So by all definitions, and they even said that they came out with something in 2016 where they clearly said, if you suffered a ransomware virus infection, you have suffered a breach. And then you, wow. and unlike a lot of other HIPAA stuff, which is somewhat ambiguous and open to interpretation, that breach notification is not. You absolutely have to do those things. So it's, it's pretty scary stuff for a lot of offices. Not to mention, of course, if your files are locked, you're can't down work. for a day, two days, longer. You know, some of those offices that were hit in Wisconsin were told us they were down for weeks. Um, you know, you, you can't function. So you, you got all that lost, lost productivity. Um, you know, you got to get the, the virus off your system, which is easier said than done if you don't have a lot of expertise in IT. So um, they're pretty nasty. And of course, you know, you hear about it in the news because it's out there with, you know, it hits all these major health group organizations. Anthem got hit. It's, it's almost every day you hear about these major ransomware. There was just something recently where the U.S. government was hit with with ransomware uh, intrusion. So um, it's it's nasty. It, it really got is it. bad. And I th- for me, I think that's the thing that dentists should be most concerned about. Yeah. So honestly, I mean, I knew some of what you're saying, but but obviously maybe 20% of what that is. And I, I definitely had them as separate entities when it comes to getting hacked and ransomware because I have two, two questions popped in my head right away and I'd type them out here so I don't forget. But if you if you pay these ransomwares, does that mean that person on the other end thinks you're more likely to then uh, be susceptible again and they're going to come back and get you? Yeah, obviously they know that, you, they, you know, if you've been a victim once, they, I'm sure they keep track of, you know, who these people are. Of course, the, the, the hope is that if you've ever hit with a ransomware, you're going to institute procedures and policies. And we can talk about that, things you can do to, to protect Prevent yourself. that. No such thing as 100% protection, but absolutely, sure. you know, they know, hey, this person got hit once and, you know, let's let's try to get them again. You know, every computer, every network on in the world has a, a unique identifier. It's called an IP address. So it's easy, you know, they when they know that they've hit you, it's very easy for them to know, here's your public IP address. They can keep a database of that. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're and, on the, the, the naughty list, not that. Yeah, I would think so. And, and then, in other words, I'm also thinking like if somebody's ever been hacked before the, even more so they need to get protection, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Uh, and then the other thing I was thinking about, like, you know, I've gotten a letter from, I don't know, I just making names target or something or, or the health industry. And I've gotten that, that letter of shame, kind of like what you're talking about saying, Hey, we've had a data breach. And usually they'll put something in there like uh, your, but your data is safe or something like that, right? They put, but is that just to try to like calm everybody down or? Yeah, now companies like that tend to have better forensic IT people that can actually determine was any data removed. You know, was you know what part of the database was affected by the, the ransom? I mean, typically a ransomware, they're not actually going into your files and looking at them or copying them or deleting them they're locking them. That doesn't mean they can't do that. And certainly once someone's on your network, you know, they can do anything that they want. So you had no guarantee that. And actually one of the things that we've seen that some of these uh, ransomware criminals have done, which is pretty 
nasty, but they, you know, they do it. I keep using that word, but um, let's say, and we'll talk about like one of the things, one of your ways to protect yourself is to have a really good backup. That okay. if you've got an offsite backup that hasn't been affected, you can restore from that. These people are now saying, okay, well, that's fine, good for you. But if you don't pay the ransom, we're going to take your database, which we did copy, and we're going to put it online. Uh-huh. And there was a, a famous case a number of years ago where uh, I think it was an office in Pennsylvania. Their Dentrix database got posted to an online torrent site. So even having that backup or even having that good protection in place isn't going to help you because once they have your data, they can do whatever they want with it. So um, okay. you know, so unlike these large companies that I think have better forensic abilities to determine exactly what was done, most dental offices don't have that. You know, they're, they're sure. just not set up to be able to say, yes, we know for sure that our data wasn't compromised, that it, it's not sitting in someone else's server right now. Um, you just have no way of knowing that for sure. And like I said, even and even if you pay the ransom, you have no guarantee you're going to get the, the unlock key. So wow. $8,000 and still be dead in the water. Wow. What is the typical amount they're asking for? Do you have any idea? Yeah, as in, we, we've seen some as low as like 500 to 750. Um, we've seen some as high as three to 5,000. Um, some of the, the more recent ransomware attacks we've seen, they get much more expensive because you're not getting attacked by one virus. They might attack you with 15 or 20 viruses, each wow. one requiring its own unlock key and its own ransom to be paid. So wow. you pay one ransom, that's going to unlock five or 10% of, of the database. You, you still need the other keys. So, um, you know, people should expect that it's typically going to be in the thousands, multiple thousands to, to get it. Wow. Not to mention, you're going to have to have your IT guy help you out here. It's everything. Your IT guy is going to, have to be spending at least a couple of days doing that. You're going to be down for a couple of days, potentially you know, without income. So that's going to be even more than for most offices and what the ransomware uh, is going to cost you. Um, one of the things that's considered, you talked about getting those emails from Target or other companies. One of the things that's considered, you know, quote unquote, standard of care is that if you do suffer a breach, you should be uh, providing some type of credit monitoring for those people for at least a year or two. So that gets oh, expensive. Wow. Um, of course, if you've suffered it now, you're potentially looking at a, a HIPAA audit. You're looking at having to notify your state dental board. So then you've got legal fees. And, you know, that's why when we set up services for our offices, our minimum insurance that we provide as part of the services is 250000 know, We haven't seen anyone go much above that. So, and people can always obviously buy more insurance than that if they want. Insurance premiums have skyrocketed because of all those dental offices that were hit. I got my premium a few months ago. It was triple what it was uh, up until that point. And most of our clients that are renewing their policies now, we're seeing it two to three times uh, more wow. than it was initially. So. And, and that's probably because it's happening more often. Yeah, they, they know it's yeah. been happening. COVID didn't help things at all. No. Uh, a lot of offices were out of the office, but they still had to keep their computers on to be able to contact patients, to be able to do billing, you know, all things that you still have to do to run a practice, but you're not there. So you just, you couldn't be on top of it the way you would be if you were physically in the office and you could see that someone's hacked in or the mouse, you know, is doing different things that it should be doing. Or, you know, you yeah. some, a lot of times there are some telltale signs that something's happening, but obviously if you're not physically in the office, you, you can't do that. So we've yeah. seen a significant increase in ransomware attacks uh, since March of, of 2020. So 
let's get in. We, we know what the problem is. We know what the potential dangers are and the cost of that. Let's talk about how easy or difficult it is to protect yourself from these things. So what steps should a dental office take to minimize or even eliminate the, the risk when it comes to, you know, being open to one of these attacks of, of ransomware? You mentioned so, offsite backup, right? Yeah. So the general approach that, that I take is more or less a three-pronged approach. First thing that we want to do is to try to prevent the ransomware from ever getting onto your network in the first place. Secondarily, we want to look at it. Well, if it does get on, what things do you have in place to deal with it? And third, if it does get on, what can you, and you have been infected, what can you do then to recover from it? So first part of that equation is stopping it from getting on in the first place. There are three things that would be part of that. First and foremost, I highly recommend that every office get a really good business class firewall. What most offices have is they have a modem from their cable company. Maybe they've got, they're sharing their net with a consumer level router like Linksys or D-Link or Netgear, one of those. I don't really recommend that. Now you don't need to go crazy and spend $5,000 on a Cisco enterprise firewall. You can get a good business class firewall like Sophos or SonicWall, they're gonna run you 600, 700 or so. They usually offer some type of anti-malware subscription for a couple hundred bucks a year. So that would be the first step in the process. The second thing, which a lot of people don't realize is that email far and away is the most common way that you can get a ransomware infection. Oh, you know, wow. It comes okay. into the office, it looks like it's from someone that you know, or it looks like it's legit, you click on a link that you shouldn't be, and that's how you introduce the ransomware. So, you know, obviously we want to have some type of encrypted email system in place, but the second most common method that ransomware can get onto your system is through unpatched software. Every software program out there has security holes in it, and the companies are constantly releasing these patches, the patches themselves usually have holes. You're, you're in this game of whack-a-mole, basically, where you're every, you know, you're trying to keep up with it every day to try to snuff out those uh, those security holes. So you need to keep everything patched. With Windows, it's somewhat easier that you can do that because there's automatic patching. And we actually don't recommend that offices do that from the standpoint that Microsoft's patches sometimes aren't the most stable. Uh, you have no control usually over when those patches go. They almost always are on uh, late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. Uh, you come in a lot of times on a Wednesday morning to your office and you notice that your computer is rebooted and you're not sure why. It's because the security patch was applied. Uh, we prefer to have more control over that over that patching. But Windows is just one one software program. You know, you have Office and Adobe and all these different programs that need to be patched. So um, a lot of us in IT have taken on the role of what's called a managed service provider or MSPs, where we automate that process. Rather than paying someone manually to go out and find the patches and apply them and reboot the computers, you can install software on your systems in order to do that automatically for you. Um, so th those are the, the main things that you're gonna wanna do is between email, being encrypted, patching, and a firewall, that's gonna keep 
the bad guys out in a lot of cases. You know, that's that's the goal anyways. So I hear a lot of people going, oh, encrypted email. <laughs> you know, what a hassle. How easy can that be? Is there a complicated... I mean, I, I Gmail. I see Gmail. I email doctors all the time, back and forth. We're sending things back and forth. It's through Gmail. Is that dangerous? What's a good option for that, or what do you suggest? Yeah. So there's different types of, of email. So it has to be encrypted. Yeah. So there's a few things that HIPAA says have to be in place for the email to be HIPAA compliant. Um, it has to be encrypted. You have to have a signed business associates agreement with the provider because they have access, you know, the email is going through their system and it's potentially going to have patient information. So you have to have that signed BAA with them. Um, and you have to have what's called auditing and logging that you can be able to track who accessed that information and when do they access it and what do they do with it. So you can't use regular Gmail, regular Yahoo mail, you know, those won't work. Uh, now there are paid versions. Uh, Google has a paid version. It used to be called G Suite. They just changed the name to Google for Workplace or something like that. So um, that could work. There's Office uh, 365. The, the the reason that we don't normally recommend those systems is that you're not really protecting the recipient. In other words, let's say you send an, an email, an encrypted email, through your system, through like a Gmail or through Office 365 that goes to another office. They get it in their regular email. That information is there. If they suffer a breach, if they lose their laptop, if they get hacked into, you know, they've got to report that. The types of systems that I normally recommend, which are, yes, they are a little bit more of a pain in the rear, um, are systems where the email that you can still keep your existing email address, the email that you send would say, hey, um, Dr. Levine has sent you this encrypted email, click here. And if it's your first time getting one from, from me, it would ask you to create a username and a password. The next time you just have to enter your, your password uh, and that encrypts the whole system. And the reason I prefer that is that now the recipient is only getting an email saying that they've received something from me. There's no patient information in that email. So not only are you protecting yourself by sending an encrypted email, you're protecting the recipient because there's no electronic protected health information that's in that email itself until they click on it and enter their password. And these are not horribly expensive systems. 35 to 50 bucks a month is normal for four or five user accounts. So whether they go through Gmail or Microsoft or the ones that we recommend, it's about eight to $10 a person a month to have a decent encrypted email. And you should never have to change your email address. You should always be able to continue to use the same address that you've always had. Would would they would you say that if they had that I, this is what I can imagine a client doing they have this encrypted software but then they still have this access to their Gmail account because they're at work they're like can I just open my Gmail and send something from Gmail that would all go away and you would just have one type of email in the practice yeah correct? if you if you use the Google ones for example you use the paid version that would be the only client that you open up the mm. ones that we recommend uh, one of the beauties of some of them is a lot of offices use Outlook. Yeah. So the way that some of these ones work is that they have a plugin. So, you know, an Outlook typically on the upper left, there's like a little, you know, send key there. What the plugin does is would put another button right next to that that says send secure. So, uh -huh. you know, you continue to use Outlook and for the ones that need to be secure, you just hit the secure button versus the gotcha. regular button. So, you don't have to really so not all of them would have to be sent secured if it was just right. patient information. HIPAA has what's called an identifier. There's 18 different identifiers that if the information includes any one of those identifiers, it's considered protected health information. 
So that would be patient name, obviously, uh, date of birth, chart ID, uh, facial shot, uh, any information that would allow someone that's not the patient or not the dentist to be able to figure out who that person is, that is considered a, um, a you know, it's considered an identifier and has to be treated. So, you know, things like a, an x-ray, like a PA or a bite wing x-ray would not, but most offices don't send PA bite wings, you know, or anything like that with nothing attached. I mean, they, they send it to an office and they say, here's the, the bite wing yeah. for Mrs. Jones. And yeah. so you know, the name's there. So it has to uh, be. Um, you know, yeah, that defeats the, the whole purpose. So yeah, that's why we recommend an encrypted system. It's all a closed system. You don't have to worry about what email client you're using or work with whatever ones you're currently working with. So uh, it's, and of all the things that we recommend for offices, encrypted email, uh, which is the second most common way that people get breaches, um, it is the cheapest of the, of, of yeah. the no, and I didn't. I didn't realize you could choose what you encrypt because I think the pain in the butt is the encrypted process and going through all the steps or whatever it is. They think, oh, it's going to take me a, a long time to do that. But if if I just want to email, you know, a team member or or Eric or what, and there's no patient information there, I want to be able to just email them, and you can do both. It sounds like, which is yeah. great. Yeah. Okay, all right, good. So that's a, you said that's the second most common. What was the third, first most common? Most, the first most common is a lost or stolen external hard drive or mobile device, like a phone or um, oh. a So okay. you know, we had talked about the fact that we want to keep the bad guys out. What happens if they get in? Because no firewall is 100% foolproof. Uh, you know, no no patching that you do is 100% foolproof as well. And by the way, the whole thing with patching, it's critical that you have those security patches. Even though, like I said, we don't always recommend doing it on Microsoft's timetable, you still need to have them. The entire reason that people had to switch off of Windows 7 back in January of 2020 is that Microsoft, Microsoft stopped issuing patches. So, you know, by HIPAA definition, if you don't have a patched operating system, then you're not secure. You're the, vulnerable. The antivirus and all the firewalls in, that you have in place aren't going to help you. Yeah. However, yeah. you still need to have those things. So that's stage two. So, okay, so the virus has made it through the firewall. What can we do to deal with it? Um, normally, the first thing we're going to say is antivirus software. You have to have antivirus protection in place. Windows has a built-in program called Defender. It's mediocre at best. It's, it's not something I would recommend. We normally use ones like ESET has one called Nod32. There's uh, Bitdefender. There's uh, Kaspersky, Trend Micro. They're all kind of decent. They all basically do the same thing. Every one of them will tell you we do a really good job against ransomware. In my experience, that's not the case. Hmm. So I don't recommend trusting whatever antivirus software you have in place, I always suggest that you supplement that with a ransomware specific program. Uh, ones that we've been recommending are from Sophos, there's one called Intercept X, there's one called Hitman Pro, that they're all designed specifically for ransomware. And again, these are not terribly expensive programs. They are $30, $40 a computer per year that they have really good antivirus and, and ransomware protection. Uh, but those are typically the two things that once it's made its, its way through, you know, can you deal with it before it does any damage? Now there's a, a new technique we've actually been beta testing with a few of our clients. It's really exciting for us, um, which is called application whitelisting. 
And it works off of the concept that all ransomware, all viruses are just small little programs. And once it gets on there, the program starts to run and it does the things that it does, which is lock files and delete files, and do whatever it needs to do. The way that application whitelisting works is I'll say, okay, we're gonna install some software in your system that's gonna take an inventory of every single program that's running, both ones that you use, ones that are running in the background. We'll let it run there for a week or two so that it captures everything. At a certain point, we flip the switch and then it goes into deny all mode, which basically means if your software, if a program starts to run and it's not on that list, on that white list of uh, approved programs, it won't run. You'll get a gotcha. pop-up that says, you know, this thing is trying to run. So it literally defeats any third-party program from ever running um, because it wasn't recognized. The downside to it is that anytime you upgrade your practice management software, your image software, we also have to kind of turn it off or tell it to let it through because it recognizes it as a new program, as, as an yeah. updated version. Sure. Um, but that's kind of, you know, application whitelisting. And there's a, a similar one called ring fencing, uh, which also ring fencing will determine, you know, like if you have a Dentrix database, here are the programs that are allowed to access that. Because it's not just Dentrix. A lot of times there's third-party programs like, you know, Smile Reminder and Solution Reach and Yappy, you know, all those ones, you know, they or image programs that they're bridging to, to Dentrix. But same type of concept. It says, okay, here's the approved list of programs that can access my database. No one else has access to it. So between those things, that's what we think is really kind of the best way to, if it's gotten onto your system, to deal with it before it's allowed to do the damage that it can do. Okay. So, and I'm just thinking out loud here, just thinking, you know, what would a client say, you know, I've got team members or themselves, the doctor, you know, gets online for shopping or social media and things like that. What, what is your advice? Is that okay? If, as long as you have this, this, you know, firewall or what? Yeah, you want to be careful, obviously. If you get an email from a patient or a colleague or one that just you weren't expecting it or sometimes it's just a link in there that doesn't make sense to you, there's a few things you can do. First off, most programs, you know, most email clients have a feature where if you take your mouse cursor and hover it over the link, they'll actually show you on the bottom of the screen where it's going to. And it's typically nothing like Like I get them every day for Netflix and Chase Bank and all these ones. And I know they're fake just by looking at them because the grammar is yeah. terrible. <laughs> or the email email address says like, you know, one, two, three at smith.com. Right, but yeah, it's a completely different link or whatever. So, you know, but if you ever, if you get an email next day from an insurance company and you're not sure about it, just go on to the web and just go directly to the insurance's website, you know, to their website. Don't actually click on that link. Um, we highly recommend, and it is a HIPAA law, that all the staff be provided training. Um, and there are a number of programs out there. There's a company that we've partnered with where they do HIPAA and cybersecurity training. It's maybe 45 minutes or so to go through the course. You can stop and start whenever you want. Uh, you take a test at the end, which is almost impossible to fail. You get a certificate that says you've been trained. You stick it in your manual. Don't worry about it again for a year. <laughs> uh, but I definitely recommend that you know you do some type of formal training with your staff um, so that they can be current on you know how to recognize these types of emails and what things yeah. you're supposed to do from a HIPAA standpoint. But you know, surfing the web in and of itself shouldn't be an issue. Again, if you've got a good firewall in place, if you've got antivirus software and anti-ransomware protection, you know, hopefully you're going to be okay. 
Uh, but for some cases, then you have to go to the next, the final stage was what, what, what happens if you do get hit, uh, which does happen occasionally. Yeah. How, how do you recover? I have down here. How do you recover from this? Yeah. So we talked about this. So you can pay the ransom. That's usually our, our last recommendation. Um, and as I, we talked about earlier, a backup is far and away your number one way to recover. And not just any backup, because the way that a lot of offices do backup is that they'll just do a local backup. It's just the files and folders. And they, they haven't really thought through the process of, okay, if my server goes down or we're hit with a ransomware, you know, we have to basically reinstall everything, how quickly can I get back up and running? Because if you only have a copy of your data, you have to basically get another server in there or have one of the computers act as a server, reinstall all your programs, reconfigure the network so that all the workstations now know where the new server is. Now you can take that local backup, which hopefully hasn't been hit by the ransomware, but if it probably was, if it's part of the network, um, down, you know, put that back onto the new quote unquote server, uh, you're looking at at least a day or two of downtime. So the approach that we recommend is a two pronged approach. First, you need to have that local backup. That backup is what we call an image. We take a snapshot of the entire server, not just the data, the program files, the settings, the networking, everything. It's literally a duplicate of the server. We put it onto, usually you, you can put it onto an external hard drive. We don't suggest that just because then you have to copy the off of that when it comes time to restore. We don't, will normally put it onto like a Dell computer. We, we get a Dell computer with a, a larger hard drive. We put that copy of the server on there. We put it into a virtual environment. Let's say your server goes down or it's hit with a ransomware. We want to get back up and running quickly. We fire up that virtual copy of the server literally within minutes we're going to be back up and running. Now, it normally takes longer than that just because we always want to go to the, the main server and see if we can recover that first before we go to the backup. The, the backup is usually only as good as the previous night's backup. We do backups during the day. They tend to get corrupted a lot if the files are open while you're trying to back them up. So oftentimes, the, the safest backup is the previous night's one. So we're going to try to restore that server first if there's any way to do that. Once we've made the determination, hey, this thing ain't coming back anytime soon, <laughs> then we fire up the virtual copy. That's always our first line of defense. That's not going to help you if there has been a fire or a flood or yeah. theft or the local backup was in, it was hit by the ransomware virus as well. So you really should have a offsite backup. Now, some offices still use external hard drives. They have to be encrypted if you're taking them out of the office, because like I said, that's the number one reason for a HIPAA breach. Wow. So you do that, we always try to eliminate the human component. Yeah. You know, there's no reason, you know, Dell offices are busy enough. You know, they don't have to, they shouldn't have to deal with making sure the backup's done, getting yeah. uh, it out of the office. There are all kinds of HIPAA rules about backup, that it has to be encrypted, it has to be tested and verified. You have to do test restores yeah. on that. Can I just say, can I just say if anybody's listening to this and you're doing an external hard drive backup, stop. <laughs> Start doing something remote that you don't have to carry out with you. You don't have to forget. It's not a liability to you. If you drop it, break it, lose it, uh, whatever, or it's not working, just get into what it, what, what would you say, Dr. Lee, like a, a cloud-based backup, right? A, yeah. So a virtual backup. 
Yeah, the problem for Dell officers, of course, is you're talking electronic protected health information. So the same yeah. rules apply. It's got to be encrypted. You have to find a way that you can test and verify, do the test restores. Um, you have to have a signed business associate agreement with them. We do it ourselves. We, we have a server, you know, run by a company. It's, a, it's in a HIPAA certified area. You know, it meets all the requirements. We don't recommend some of the other, like the, the ones that people may have heard about, like, you know, like Google Drive, whatever, is definitely not going to cut it for you. Um, ones like Mosey and Carbonite, um, you know, they have business versions that get a little bit closer. But as I said, we typically want to have more control over it because as I said, there are laws. And you have to test that restore on a regular basis. That's part of the law. So, wow. uh, and the other reason is that the challenge with some of these online ones like Carbonite, Mosey, and Cloud42 or you know, Crash Plan, whatever it's called, is that if you're doing an online only backup, which is what most of those are, that's not going to help you much. If your server goes down and you have, you know, 100, 200, 300 gigabytes of data, which is pretty typical for a lot of offices, and you got to download all that data, you know, days, weeks, depending on your internet connection to get all that stuff downloaded. So, you know, that's why we always recommend that two-pronged approach, a local yeah. backup for your, that quick restore, the offsite, which is more for the disaster recovery when there's a huge, now if there's a disaster where the office burns down, you don't need all three, 400 gigabytes of data. You need your practice management software database, which is, might be 20 or 30 gigs if you can download it in an hour or so, because all you really want to do is be able to get them on the call with patients and let them know, yeah. hey, we don't have an office here. Can't see you. So You gotcha. So, the backup, I think, is going to be the, the best line of defense. Um, the other thing that we talked about is that you really need some type of cyber liability slash breach insurance that you just you can't prevent everything. And we work with offices all the time on HIPAA compliance and they say, hey, do you guarantee that we can get you know 100 percent compliant? And my answer is no, <laughs> I can't get you 100 percent compliant. And we don't promise that there's 700 pages of rules and regulations and you know, you mentioned like, these companies like Target, you know, they, you hear about these large breaches and these are people that have full-time HIPAA compliance officers, PCI officers on their payroll. If they can't keep compliant, what chance do you have as a dental office? So you can't get 100% compliant, but we do know because we've had a number of clients that have gone through these audits that if you cover those main bases that we talked about, uh, you know, backup and disaster recovery and firewalls and antivirus and encryption and encrypted email and staff training, um, you're going to be in, in good shape. One thing that we always recommend as well, which we haven't talked about, and again, it's a HIPAA law, is that you have to do a formal HIPAA risk assessment. You know, it's no different than, you know, a patient comes into your office, you don't just start treating them. Hopefully, hope you don't. Yeah, you, you take your x-rays and you do your perioprobing and restorative charting and you know, intraoral extra exams. And based on all of that, you put together a treatment plan, you go ahead and start treating them. Same thing with HIPAA. You, you know, how do you know where you're not meeting the requirements unless you look? And, you know, one of my pet peeves is that there's these companies out there that say, hey, you know, we can, you know, do your risk assessment by go online and take this questionnaire for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and you've done a risk assessment. And the reason they get away with that is that if you actually look in the HIPAA requirements as far as how to do a risk assessment, there's nothing. There's literally one sentence that says you have to do it, but there's no guidance. Like what that it has to be. Case, there yeah. are documents out there like NIST, which is National Institute of Standards and Technology. They've got this document 800-30, which tells you how to do a risk assessment. That's kind of considered the gold standard out there. Um, but it, it's common sense. You have to be comprehensive. You have to look at everything, your IT, your physical, 
you know, locks on the door, uh, alarm systems. You have to look at it from an administrative standpoint. You have policies and procedure manuals. You have incident response form, and there's a lot that goes into it. So, you know, for any office that's thinking about getting HIPAA compliant, getting cyber secure, we almost always suggest the first step is to do a comprehensive evaluation because how do you know unless you actually look? Sure, sure, that no, makes sense. So formal risk assessment, are there any other HIPAA considerations we need to be talking about here? Yeah, if we have like another three or four hours. I'm go. <laughs> okay, good, yeah, that's fine. You know, I always joke when I lead seminars, I'm like, there's always a hypochondriac. You know, there's always somebody who's in the office that pays attention to these things, who knows more than anybody else. And I think sometimes, I think most of the time, that's not the doctor. And we yeah, need to really- the office manager. And we, yeah. listen, we try to keep people all this advice ahead of time. I and mean, people work with me all the time where I'm out there lecturing on this and webinars and writing about it in journals. We, we do our best. Um, I can tell you that for an office that is hit with ransomware or an office has gone through a HIPAA audit, when they call me up, that is the easiest sale of anything that I'll do that entire yeah. month. Uh, because they are so motivated. It's like, they're I ready. want to go through this again. You know, exactly. It was horrible. And I was down for three days and our patients were upset. And I mean, we lost a lot of patients. And it's, you know, once it happens to you, it, it's usually pretty easy to, to be convinced that, hey, I, I need to take better well, precautionary steps. Yeah. Life experience is the best educator. Yeah. And we, we see it with our patients when they end up with a toothache. They're like, yeah, I should have got it done before the toothache. You know, yeah, yeah. So thought you, it was coming. You, you do what you can. You, you try to give people advice and yeah. let them know here's what we recommend and here are the options. Here's what they're going to cost. I just, I can't hold a gun to someone's head. All I can do is give them the advice yeah. and hope that they'll take it. And usually they do, but sometimes they don't. And sometimes it's, they come back to us after the fact and say, you know, should have Here listened. we go. Yeah. So is this something that you're seeing more dentists try to do on their own? Should they even try to do it on their own? We see a lot of people that try to do it on their own. Um, I think the challenge for most offices really shouldn't be, can you set it up? I mean, anyone can learn. You can go into YouTube and I guess learn how to encrypt your server and learn how to, you know, if you get like an encrypted email system, you can certainly have the vendor walk you through it. Um, where the challenge I think comes for a lot of offices is when things go wrong. Notice I didn't say if things go wrong, <laughs> when things go wrong. Um, and then you have to ask yourself, can you resolve that on your own? And if you bring in an IT you know, company, are they going to struggle to be able to provide the support because they didn't help you with the initial setup? You know, that you've got it set up in such a way that they have no clue what you did. And, you know, it, it's doubling or tripling the amount of time that it takes for them to figure out the problem and resolve it. So, you know, listen, of course I'm biased. This is what we do for a living. Yeah, it's always a recommendation, but most dental, most dentists aren't productive when they're tinkering around with their network and, you know, no. handling their backup and dealing with, with patch and all this stuff, you know, they're productive when they're chair side. So, sure. Sure. Um, most of them are going to find it's a much better use of their time to consider working with an IT company. And, and I, again, I'm biased, but I would always recommend that you work with someone who specializes in healthcare because they understand cybersecurity. They certainly understand HIPAA, which a lot of the, the mom and pop operations or, you know, large IT companies that work with Fortune 500 companies, they just don't have to deal with that. They just don't know. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, yeah, anyone that's, that's, specific in healthcare, especially if they're dental, probably has a lot of familiarity with practice management software and image software. They, they can guide you on a lot of stuff that would, that would avoid calls and having to sit on hold, you know, for 
two or three hours with the practice management software. So no, no. Yeah. That's the last place you want to turn to. They don't like to call them for anything really. So I, you know, personally I get frustrated when I hear the doctor spending, you know, 30 minutes designing a crown on their digital device in the, in the, in the hallway, let alone fidgeting with how to set up it. I, I can't imagine uh, that, that that would even be something they could do. So I'm sitting here listening. Uh, I'm, I work in an office. I'm a dentist and I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm saying, I don't know if we're protected. I don't know if we have uh, what we need in place. I, I have this local IT person who set up our network. They come in every so often. But what do I what do I do now to figure out, you know, can TDD help me with this situation? What, what would you suggest? Well, there's two things. Um, first thing is that we do recommend that you take, like you said, how do you know where you're at? I have created this seven point checklist. It was called a security predictor checklist that any office can go through in about two minutes and figure out, you know, do we have some of the things, the, the basic stuff in place? It's not, like I said, it's not designed to be formal risk assessment or any stretch of the imagination. It's just designed to sort of look yeah. at that low hanging fruit. I mean, am I doing the, the basics? You can download that from a website that I created. It's at go thedigitaldentist.com go.thedigitaldentist.com okay if people don't want to do that and if, once you do that it's going to send you emails and it can walk you through other things and there's a webinar that i've got and people can can go through the whole process if you'd rather just contact me and want to pick my brain you can go into my website which is thedigitaldentist.com there's no go in front of it it's just thedigitaldentist.com the first thing that they'll see on the page is you know do you want a consultation? And they can just fill in their name. Uh, I think it's asking e- name, email, and phone number. Um, what I'm also willing to do. So there's one thing that we do for offices. And again, it's not designed to replace a, a formal risk assessment. We call it a security audit. That let's say maybe you have or haven't decided to go through that, that security predictor checklist, but you just want to get a better idea of where your individual practice, you're not sure. You go through the security predictor it's like, gee, am I actually doing that stuff? I don't know. How do I check that stuff? So we, we do these things called security audits where we log onto your network with your permission, of course, and you can watch what we're doing. We just gather data. We see, you know, what are you doing for backup? What are you doing? You know, are your systems up to date? Do you have a firewall in place? Uh, do you, are you patching? You know, when's the last time you did a risk assessment? Do you, do you have anything else? All the stuff that we already talked about today. The whole process takes maybe 30 minutes or so. We only only need you or your office manager for five or 10 minutes of that. Once we've done that, I will then call you up or you know we can set up a time to talk where I'll go through. Here's all the things that we found. Here's what I recommend. Um, here is what I think is the most critical. Here's the things that if you only want to do one or two things at first, here's the things that can kind of go to phase two or phase three. Here's what all of it would cost if we did it. You know, there's different packages that we offer. You know, here's what those packages would cost. Typically for that process, doing the security audit, we charge $97. Um, for anyone that's listening to this podcast, just mentions the podcast, um, or, you know, they go through the website, we'll waive that. We're happy to do it at no cost. Because at the okay. end of the day, the most important thing is that you have the information. I'm not, and anyone that's ever worked with me will tell you this, I'm not about a hard sell or anything like that. Yes, of course, we would love to work with any office out there and help you get more HIPAA compliant, more cyber secure. But the most critical thing is that you have the information that you need to make intelligent decisions for what's best for your practice. 
So if that means working with us, great. If it means that you take that information from the audit and go to your IT company or go to someone else, that's fine. You know, you've got more information than you had before you started the process. So yeah, we'd be happy to help out any way that we can. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time. I know this, there's so much more we could talk about on this. I'll probably have you back for a part two at some point. I think the, the biggest thing that I'm taking away from this is I feel like I'm the patient that walks in who says, I just need a cleaning. And I found out I have full-blown perio right now. And if I don't do anything, I'm going to lose my teeth. And I just don't want the doctors out there who are, thought they were safe. You know, they think they just need a cleaning, right? They just need to, you know, have an IT guy or whatever. And really, uh, they, they need something to save their, their teeth. They need something to save their, their computer, their software, and really their business, their livelihood, and to protect yourself. And that's what I'm taking away from this. So if, if you don't have that sort of protection, if you are listening, you're going, well, I have no idea. I would suggest take the time. This is a great opportunity. Take the time, go on the website, figure out where you're at, and then you can go from there, right? Is that, am I summing it up okay? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the old adage, you know, ounce of prevention. It's, it's yeah. you know, you, you're going to pay one way or the other way. You either yeah. you pay a small amount at first to protect yourself and, and do it, or you get hit with a ransomware, your network goes down, and then you, you you sit there scratching your head like, you know, gee, I was patting myself on the back for all the money I was saving by not doing this. Uh, you know, now it's expensive. I go all my cost savings. So Yeah, that's yeah, like the... <laughs> yeah, the approach that we take with offices is, you know, we're not, quote unquote, selling services. What we're doing is giving offices the peace of mind to be able to sleep well at night, knowing that they're protected and that they've got their bases covered. That's really, you know, that's the bottom line for us. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time. And for those that are listening, uh, you know, look, subscribe, of course, but share this with people uh, that are your colleagues so they can hear this. This is super easy for them to listen to, to understand that it's an important part of their practice. So please share this uh, with your colleagues. That would be great. I, I truly value your time to listen and to work on your practice, your business. It, it's a part of being a dentist, being an entrepreneur and, and running things the right way. And so I want to thank you for joining us and really taking the time to invest in yourself again. And so until next time, go out there and be an all-star. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dental All-Stars. Visit us online at allstardentalacademy.com.